five. start with our summary statement. Psalm 125 prays for peace for Israel. And longs for the security of Zion. Go over that again. Psalm 125 prays for peace for Israel and longs for the security of Zion. Simple outline for the psalm, two parts. Verses 1 to 3, the restoration of Zion. Verses 4 to 5, prayer for peace. We'll go over that again. So verses 1 to 3, rest, the restoration of Zion. And verses 4 to 5, prayer for peace. All right, so we'll go to our observations on this psalm. Psalm 125 is an anonymous psalm. Uh, you see the superscription there, a song of degrees. There's no author attribution, um, nothing in the text that uh, identifies any particular author. No musical direction, and much like the other psalms of ascent, beyond just the word that you see song there, um, that word does indicate a, a, a lyrical song. Um, but other than that, no musical direction in the psalm. There's no specific occasion that is given in the heading of the psalm. Um, if we look at the content of the psalm, we see that the longing for Zion and particularly the reference to the rod of the wicked in the lot of Israel um, indicates a time of exile, um, a looking forward to the ending of such exile. Uh, Psalm 125, it is one of the Psalms of Ascent. So we have 15 of those Psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And this is the sixth out of the 15. It does have some minor elements. Um, for one, it is a Zion Psalm. Uh, we have a mention of, of Mount Zion as well as Jerusalem in, in this Psalm. Um, other minor elements would be wisdom elements. We get this contrast between the righteous and the wicked. Um, the talking of the, the wicked turning aside to a crooked way and that, that sort of thing. Um, common wisdom elements there. And beyond that, I would say also uh, it would be a minor category of, of just a prayer or petition psalm. Because there is a request um, that is made in the psalm, but it really doesn't 
fit or rise to the level of, of a lament psalm. It's just more of a, a petition or prayer. So Psalm 125 um, does connect with the other psalms of ascent, and we've talked about how uh, these psalms are a very well-defined group of psalms um, within the overall collection. And there are some common themes and some common words even and, and things that are repeated throughout these psalms. They're also put together in such a way that there is a progression um, toward future fulfillment um, as you read these psalms from the beginning. So this psalm in particular um, would connect with the themes of exile, um, the restoration of Zion or Jerusalem, uh, the peace of Israel, and the judgment of the wicked, and not not just a sort of a general judgment of the wicked, but actually a, a ridding of the wicked from the land of Israel, as we see brought out in this particular psalm. Now, beyond the psalms of ascent, ascent beyond that, um, this psalm also connects with other Zion psalms, and Psalm 2 in particular, the first that we encounter, um, as we start going through the Psalms, and so there's a number of connections with that. Um, another Zion Psalm in particular is uh, Psalm number 46, and there's um, emphasis in that Psalm on the permanence of Zion, and that's also brought out in this Psalm as well. Now, the poetic features of Psalm 125, um, the Psalm does have a controlling imagery that it uses, so there's a simile here of the mountains around Jerusalem being like God encircling his people of Israel uh, essentially so that they will last forever. And so the idea of the mountains that uh, encircled Jerusalem that um, made Jerusalem quite um, an unassailable city, a very difficult um, city to assail in, in many ways, um, so it was a, a secure location. Um, so that, that imagery is, is being picked up on and, and uh, is being likened to God's protection of his people of Israel and how that he encircles and, and surrounds them. We also have some ter- different terms that are used um, that are uh, meaningful. They're tapping into other um, areas of Scripture, just like wisdom terms where we see uh, things like workers of iniquity, uh, turning aside to their crooked ways, um, things like that. We get uh, also a number of covenant-related terms in this particular psalm, uh, the word for trust in verse number one. Um, we also have the, the Lord doing good um, to those that are good and upright in heart. And, and so we do have a number of terms related to um, covenant uh, faithfulness of the Lord as well. All right, so we'll work our way through this psalm, uh, just five verses, so not a real long one. Uh, Go ahead and read these. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion, which cannot be removed, but abideth forever. As the mountains are round about Jerusalem, so the Lord is round about his people from henceforth even forever. For the rod of the wicked shall not rest upon the lot of the righteous, lest the righteous put forth their hands unto iniquity. Do good, O Lord, unto those that be good, and to them that are upright in their hearts. As for such as turn aside unto their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them forth with the workers of iniquity. But peace shall be upon Israel. 
So the psalm opens in verse 1 with an opening statement of confidence. They that trust in the Lord shall be as Mount Zion. Um, The word for trust that is used here is a common word. We've encountered it numerous times. We've been going through the psalms. The word means to take refuge in. Those that take refuge in the Lord will be as Mount Zion that can't be removed. It abides forever. In other words, it's, it's firmly established on a, a solid foundation would be the, the implication there. So um, those that um, have this uh, covenant trust in Yahweh, we also get later in the psalm, we get Jerusalem mentioned in the next verse. Um, we get Israel mentioned later. So again, there really just can be no question about the, the, the locus of this psalm. Um, Mount Zion is the place of the Davidic reign. We've seen that alluded to in, in the Psalms of Ascent as well as other places in the Psalms and, of course, um, other places in, in, the, um, uh, in the Old Testament and, and New as well. Um, now, when you think about the Psalms of, of Ascent, um, one of those dominant themes uh, is that of Zion or Jerusalem. And so um, Zion or, or Jerusalem, there's some reference given in Psalm 122 and verses 2, 3, and 6. Here in Psalm 125 and verse 1. After this, Psalm 126 and verse 1. Psalm 128 and verse 5. Psalm 129 and verse 5. Psalm 132 and verse 12. Psalm 133 and verse 3. Psalm 134 and verse 3. So I think, um, and you can include some implicit sort of references, like references to the hills from whence cometh my strength, like in Psalm 121 and verse 1. Um, When you look at, at the Psalms, uh, obviously, Zion or Mount Zion, sometimes Holy Hill, um, sometimes Jerusalem, and there are several instances also of the city of God or the city of our God or the city of our Lord, uh, city of Yahweh, something like that. So there's a number of ways that Zion and Jerusalem are referenced, um, but it's quite um, it's quite spread through the Psalms. It's, it doesn't occur as much in the early part, and there's obviously a concentration of those references here in the Psalms of Ascent and the restoration of Jerusalem being uh, one of the themes of this of these um, particular psalms. So it says that it cannot be moved or removed. In other words, it can't be shaken from its place. Um, and so um, the idea is of the of the permanence of the stability of Mount Zion, uh, and this is similar to what we get in Psalm forty six verses two to five that speak about. Uh, I think I think the reference there is the city of our God or something, but it's it, it again gives us this idea um, of being stable, of being secure, of being founded, um, and not being removed or or taken away, not being destroyed in that sense. Um, verse uh, verses two to three in this psalm speak of the security of His people. So we get this imagery here of God surrounding his people like the mountains surround Jerusalem. So it's, it's an image of security. It's an image um, of safety. And again, we have this reference to his people. And we have the word Am uh, there, and it is given in the singular. It's a word for nation. Um, and whenever we have that used with the possessive, his people, thy people, God's or the Lord's people, something like that. Whenever, whenever we see that, um, it is a reference to Israel as God's loved and chosen nation from Abraham. And we've tracked that um, a number of times as we've been going through. So here's another reference where we see this. He's talking about his people that he surrounds, his people of Israel. 
So the security of Israel means that they will exist as his people, and again, as his nation, um, from henceforth forever. Now, that's another one of those repeated terms that come out in these Psalms of Ascent, um, this everlasting nature. And so um, Israel will remain a a nation um, forevermore. The uh, rod of the wicked that's referred to, now this word for rod, obviously it refers to rule. Um, Sometimes it's translated scepter. And in fact, a number of times in the Psalms, it's translated scepter, sometimes rod. And generally, it's associated with the reign of Messiah. So all the way back in Genesis 49.10, we get the promise of the scepter for Judah. Same word, uh, the rod of iron in Psalm 2, same word. Um, Psalm 45 and verse 6, same, same word, um, scepter that is used there to speak of the, of the messianic king. But here, it, it's used of the wicked. It's the rod of the wicked, the scepter of the wicked. So it, it's referring to the rule of unbelievers, and particularly the rule of unbelievers over Israel and over Jerusalem. So in the restoration and the establishment of Zion, the wicked will not rule over the righteous of Israel. And he uses this word lot, and the word lot refers to, it's like an allotment. It refers to um, the divisions of the inheritance of the land promised to Abraham among the tribes of Israel. Now, it's not that common in the Psalms. Psalm 16.5 is another place where it is used. Uh, the Psalms typically use the word that's translated heritage or inheritance, uh, which has the idea of, a, of an inherited possession. But this particular word does describe the division of the land as, as the possession of the different tribes. And so this, you, this word is used very frequently in that regard in the book of Numbers. Uh, so Numbers 26, 35 is just one place. Uh, Joshua chapter 14 and verse 2 is another place um, where they were dividing up um, the land of Israel among the tribes. And so the rod of the wicked is not going to rest. In other words, it's not going to permanently be over the lot or the inheritance of Israel. It's not going to permanently be there. Now, obviously this speaks to exile and, and the fact that Israel's not in possession, full possession of their own land. They're not um, fully um, governing themselves in, in full possession of their land and, and such. They're not dwelling in, in peace and safety. But this promise here is that the, the, the rod of the wicked, though, is not going to rest or abide or remain um, over the righteous in the land of Israel. And then the last part of that, uh, the right, lest the righteous put forth their hand into iniquity, is a little, um, a little obscure. Um, it seems to be Im- implying that the righteous will not resort to the devices of the wicked. In other words, that this deliverance comes from, from Yahweh delivering them and ensuring that the, the rod of the wicked doesn't rest upon the inheritance of Israel for, forever. Um, verse 4 then gives us the petition. Um, do good, O Lord, unto those that be good and them that are upright in their hearts. So um, do good. This is a, a petition for the Lord to, uh, the word essentially has the idea of, of being favorable, being favorably disposed to, doing, doing good to, uh, being benevolent to. And you notice also you get this reference, those that are upright in their hearts. Now, this, this is actually another one of those terms 
that is used to describe those in covenant relationship with Yahweh, those who have taken refuge in him. Um, we get uh, this carrying through from Psalm 7 and verse 10, Psalm 11 and verse 2, Psalm 32 and verse 11, Psalm 36 and verse 10, Psalm 64 and verse 10, a more, little more recently, Psalm 94 and verse 15, and Psalm 97 and verse number 11. So it's another one of those terms, just like when we see saints or holy ones, the, the Hasidim. Uh, it's another one of those terms that is often associated with um, covenant trust in Yahweh. And in verse 5 that ends the psalm, we get reference to judgment and judgment that results in peace upon Israel. So we get an echo when you read verse 5. You sort of get an echo from Psalm 1 um, and how that, uh, you know, the, the wicked, or it's, the implication there is obviously that they're, you know, uh, walking in the counsel of the ungodly and, and so on. And then, of course, they cannot stand in the, in the judgment. And so we get those that turn aside. And this is, again, is, is a, uh, more of that wisdom reference. They turn aside to crooked or, or um, the idea of being bent. I think sometimes it's translated as perverted. Um, it's, it's bent away um, from the wise, the righteous, the good way. So those that turn aside, those workers of iniquity, more common wisdom references, they're going to be taken away. It says they're going to, they're going to be taken away. Um, they're not going to abide in the land. And then the contrast is the ending of the psalm, but peace will be upon Israel, God's people, those in covenant relationship with him, the faithful, the upright in heart, and the wicked, even the wicked of Israel will be um, taken away and Israel be established in the land. All right, so let's go to our interpretation So Psalm 125 teaches God's covenant care for those who take refuge in him. And, and that's obviously a, a dominant teaching in this psalm. So there's a, there's a focus here in this psalm on Israel. In other words, these are, not, these are not just general statements of God's covenant faithfulness or God's goodness or anything like that. There is a particular context here that is focused on Israel and their perpetuity as a nation with inheritance in the land of Canaan that was promised beginning with Abraham. Now, obviously, all those things are necessary for God to actually be faithful and fulfill his covenant because those are promises that have, uh, we, we, you know, we go all the way back to the book of Genesis and we, and we get those those promises. So there's a focus here on Israel, and he is pictured. Um, we have a couple different images. The the mountain of Zion is is pictured as being um, set or settled on a on a firm foundation that it can't be shaken or removed, and um, then encircled with the um, mountains uh, as the city of Jerusalem. So. God essentially is being pictured as being underneath and surrounding so that they will be preserved and endure. Um, in other words, you could say God provides stability that prevents them from being destroyed. He is preserving them. So even when you think about this prayer obviously coming from a context of exile, 
Um, there's the hopefulness in this prayer that's looking, that's looking forward. Um, these, even though they're scattered, even though they're dispersed, they're in the wilderness of the nations, they're, they're not going to be destroyed. They're not going to cease to be. And, and, these, and the, you know, the wicked are not going to just continue without end to bear rule over the inheritance of Israel. Now, because of this, so you get to sort of the application part of, of this particular psalm. I'm not talking about our application at the end, which is a, you know, a contemporary application, but I'm saying the application within the psalm as you, as you track the movement of the psalm, because of this, his people are to trust in him. They're, they're not to turn away. They're not to pervert their way to trust in any other. And we get this reference to where like they would, they would resort to the devices of the wicked in order to, to try to take the land or to try to, to seize the land for themselves. And so when you, when you study these, these prophecies, it's, it's very clear how that Israel is going to come into this inheritance. And it's, it's not going to be by them firing missiles um, at nations that are firing missiles at them um, or machine guns or guerrilla warfare or, or anything like that. It's going to happen with the coming of the Messiah. It's going to happen with the coming of the king. He is going to remove the wicked from the land. He is going to establish rule. So they're, they're not to turn away. They're not to resort to the devices of the wicked. They're not, to, they're not trying to seize um, this, this land and establish the kingdom. Um, that's going to be done by God's arm alone. Now, the messianic hope of this psalm is obviously seen through the restoration of Zion. Now, the restoration of Zion or Jerusalem, it, it means possession and peace for Israel. But, of course, how is that going to come about? Well, that's going to come about um, through God's anointed son, King. All the way back in Psalm 2 and verses 6 to 9, um, where he promises that he will install his king on his holy hill of Zion. And we saw more recently, Psalm 122 and verse number 5, that this is where the throne of the house of David is going to be restored. This is where it's going to be established and this is where the the rain is going to come forth so in other words the peace that will be upon israel and the ending of the rod of the wicked over the inheritance of israel these things are are not going to happen except with the coming of the messiah except with the coming of the king and his reign from from jerusalem all right so let's go to our application and again, in this application, we're, simp- we're asking sort of what, what we as, as modern readers, um, what we gain from a psalm like this and how that it, it speaks to us today. So I, I stuck with one main application here. Understanding Psalm 125 helps us understand our hope in God. So as you read this psalm, This psalm is obviously about God's covenant faithfulness to Israel to restore Jerusalem, give them their promised inheritance, and set his king on Zion over them. 
All right, and that's obviously what the psalm is about. So it's not just, just some sort of a general statement about uh, God's care for um, generally what we might call his people. This psalm is obviously about God's covenant faithfulness to Israel. However, what we also know is that all those who take refuge in him will receive good from him and will participate in his coming kingdom. That doesn't uh, make us Israel. It doesn't equate us with Israel in, in that sense. It doesn't nullify or just sort of wash out the promises to Israel in, in, into some sort of um, general, vague sort of, of fulfillment. No, we understand that, that God's covenant faithfulness, and I, I, keep, I keep coming back to this. I don't know how many times I've mentioned it in, as we've been going through the Psalms, but, uh, but when Paul is, is writing, in, for instance, in like Romans 9 to 11, he, he, he's coming out of those chapters, chapters 5 to 8, where he is talking about the assurance of future glorification the assurance of that justification by faith that we have. And when he gets to Romans chapter 9 to 11, he's making the argument that God keeps his promises to his people of Israel. And that is a really good thing for those that trust in him who are not of Israel. And so when we understand what, what Paul's saying he says you know he gets to Romans 11 and he says if the setting aside of them has meant the riches of of the Gentiles and that's that's where we are where Paul talked about the temporary setting aside that temporary blindness their continued exile that's where we are right now and Paul said if their setting aside has meant such riches to the to the Gentiles then what will their gathering in be what what will their returning be in other in other words it's it's it it leads to 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 much greater things than we can even imagine or comprehend so when we read psalms like this we don't have to try to you know turn it and twist it into something i mean we 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 want to read it for what it is It, it it's a psalm about israel and god's covenant faithfulness to them and the rest future restoration of jerusalem but at the same time just like paul said the fact that that God is faithful to his word is what also gives us that same confidence of hope and trust in the Lord. So if you have trusted in the Lord for salvation, then you have every confidence, just as much as as, um, the believing of Israel have confidence that these promises are going to be fulfilled. You have every confidence that God's covenant faithfulness extends to you. And and we are all preserved by God. We can look at the way that that God is preserving Israel. Um, We can look at that and we can understand that we are all preserved by him. I mean, uh, you think of the the way that Jesus put it in John 10 about how that we're in the Father's hand and, and other sheep that are not of the fold of Israel but other sheep that belong to Christ are in the Father's hand, and no man can pluck them out. So when we, re- when we read of, of a psalm like this, and we see these promises and these assurances pertaining to these promises to Israel, we understand that this is the, this is the same God, and, and his promises 
um, that extend to us will be kept as well. And, and Israel's restoration is a very good thing um, for the rest of the nations because that's how he fulfills his covenant um, with Abraham to bless all nations through him. Thank you.